Finding God in Unexpected Places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Welcome in, everyone. Jason Elam back with you here on the Messy Spirituality Podcast bonus episode. I am so grateful to have back with me again, John and Nat Turney. Um, we've had them on previously and you've heard each of their individual stories. If you haven't heard those episodes, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes before you hear this one, because we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, so John, the last time I talked to you, you actually spilled the beans on the podcast that you were about to resign from the church where you were serving. (laughs) And we had to hold the episode until you actually spoke with the pastor and made that resignation official. So what has happened with you since then? Well, I mean, geez, that's, it's, that's, it's been a little while now. And, uh, it was, uh, it's an interesting journey to say the least. Um, I actually thought as I was leaving that church, I actually thought I was going to open my own church. That was, that was, and that's what I told them as when I, when I got in front of them and spoke and, uh, it, it, that hasn't happened, but not because I was making it up just to give them a reason. I actually thought that's the, the direction I was going. Um, I wanted to, my heart was in a, a different place. I wanted to help the marginalized community. We have a pretty big homeless community in our area and no churches. There's just not a single church within where I see the, the majority of our homeless people in this area. But then through some circumstances that just wasn't going to happen. Um, California recently legalizing uh, marijuana made almost every building that I thought was vacant not be vacant. Um, almost every single building that I thought was vacant was actually an inside grow and oh, making okay. a, a ton of money. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't need, they didn't need a church down there trying to pay them rent. Yeah. So, and then on top of that COVID, you know, just COVID hit, uh, it wasn't really the right idea. So I, I kind of spun my wheels for a while trying to figure out what to do a little angry at the church, well, a lot angry at the church. Um, not, not the specific church I left, but church at large. And I just ended up on Facebook battling a lot of people, right? Um, battling people within different movements like the Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I, I started voicing my opinions. I felt freer to say what I wanted to say. And, uh, so when it came to the Black Lives Matter movement, I was pretty vocal, uh, getting a lot of pushback. Um, LGBTQ plus community, uh, voicing my, uh, support for them, getting a lot of pushback. Women in ministry, uh, supporting that, getting a lot of pushback. And I became really, really good at using the Bible against those people using the Bible against me. And, uh, I came to the realization around Lent that I was going to jokingly, I said, I think I, sh- I should give up the Bible for Lent. And, um, then as, as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? No, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give up the Bible for Lent. I'm not going to open it one time for any reason, specifically to use it to battle people on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And, um, as I did that, it, it spawned this idea to write a blog and I had to create a situation where my character in the blog was, had no access to the Bible, had no access to anything like that. And so, um, I ended up writing that blog. Um, and that was kind of cathartic for me. Just, it was just a years long journey of a conversation with God and asking questions that I just, they just got and I sat down and talked about and he or she or they gave me some answers and, you know, through some kind of 
connection. And then I just wrote them down. And that's, that's kind of where I've been in the last year and a half, almost two years now. Well, tell everybody where they can find that blog, because I, I thought it was fascinating. And I love the way the story unraveled. I think you did a fantastic job with that. Tell everybody where they can find it. It's on uh, WordPress. Um, it's WordPress, I believe, forward slash uh, the unpastor. Uh, I'm not Unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not 100 positive that's the right link or not. But it is on WordPress. It's it's on our website. This is not church.com. It's connected to that, so it, that's probably the easiest way to get to it. Uh, there's a there's a drop down menu on there, and one of the options is our my, my blog posts. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to put a link in that uh, for in the show notes to that to make sure everybody can find it because I want everybody who hasn't seen it to find it. Um, is there still a possibility that, that might be turned into a book at some point? Um, uh, uh, yes, I, I hope so. Um, it is the manuscript is put together. It's been sent out. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I get some responses soon so we can see. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some editing to it. I've sent it out to a couple friends. Uh, I've gotten some pretty good responses that way. So I'm hope, uh, hoping, fingers crossed, that you know we can get that into a book, ebook, or a paperback, or some kind of version of it. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to that if if we can make that happen. Awesome. Well, I hope you can. Uh, Nat, all right, let's pick up on your journey where we left off in that last interview. You had just planted a new church. Um, you were not feeling spiteful towards the church you had left where you had been the worship leader. Um, you kind of seemed like you were leaving with their support. Has that unfolded the way you thought it would? Uh, yeah, I mean, by and large, it did. Um, I still feel the same way about the church that I left. Um, love those guys, love those people. Couldn't possibly uh, do that again if that makes a lot of sense. Um, as I love them, uh, it's just not what I'm, it's just not where I feel led or called for lack. Of, see, I can, I can throw in Christianese words too. I don't feel led <laughs> or called um, to be in that kind of church anymore. It's, it's been good. You know, it, um, I think one of the things I remember telling you when, uh, when we were kicking this around, one of the biggest impetus for planting the church was I just, you know, as, as, as somebody who's on staff on a church or in a church where you're not the lead pastor, you're somewhat constrained to carry that pastor's vision or whatever that is, right? So you, there's there's limits placed on you. You can do this, you can say this, you can, but everything you do publicly can potentially come back on that church. And so I was, ah, man, I was always getting in trouble, dude. I just, I can't keep my mouth shut. I can't, I can't fall in line. And all of the little, you know, the 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 promises and assurances of of at some point being brought in as a full time pastor just I think I, I I had as much to do with that not working as anybody else because I wasn't going to fall in line and I wasn't going to be the guy who was just quiet about stuff so at the time that all that was happening we meant we talked about also in the last interview that I was deconstructing while on staff at a church and I'm thoroughly I mean my deconstruction was down to the freaking chassis of this vehicle you know it was nothing but a but a frame and maybe a tire. So um, that hall is unfolding <laughs> while you're trying to serve on a church. And you know what? The questions are too big, man. They're too important. And they're, um, they're too pressing for me to just shove aside. So all of that to say, um, it started out with it started out like gangbusters, man. It went really, it went really well. Um, we had a nice place to meet. And we were, you know, we had a, we had a pretty decent sized group of people coming. And, and then uh, COVID kind of took our knees out from under us. And so we... We reformed, we did, you know, we stayed, we stayed on as in an online platform quite a while just because we wanted to be safe and didn't want to put people needlessly in, in, in danger just to go to church, you know? And so, 
a new vision kind of was born out of that. And that was good. You know what I mean? It was almost like six months or eight months into planting this church, we decided we had to replant this church. And so we've, we're viewing this current iteration of the church as a whole fresh thing. I mean, the, the name of the church is the same. We're still Open Table Fellowship. Our mission is still the same. We are inclusive and, and, and loving and affirming and all those things that we want to be. But we've decided to kind of merge it with a business venture. And so that's kind of the thing that's a little different. We leased a space here in Texas where we can do we can have a we can have a business during the week and have church on the weekend and 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 that way we uh we can support ourselves and not have to lean at all on on the church to to draw a salary or you know, so I don't have to be the guy standing up there every Sunday going, Hey, you know, dig deep. <laughs> you know, the the Lord wants right. you to bless me. Um <laughs> I can just you know, freely let people, you know, hey, here's a shocking idea. Let the Holy Spirit, you know, lead people to do what they want to do. You know, no pressure, no coercion, none of that stuff, because, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, or so I've read somewhere. Um, <laughs> so that that's that's the deal. You know, it's been it's been great. And then about what, I don't know, three, four months ago, five months ago, um, John gets this harebrained idea. He's like, hey. <laughs> And he's always got ideas, man. John's an idea guy. And uh, um, I am too, but he follows through with his ideas more than I do. So he was like, hey, let's do a podcast. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. John Whatever, and dude. Matt and me. <laughs> we all have ideas, but John follows through on his. Yeah, exactly. He's, he says, let's do a podcast. I say, sure. And then he goes, oh. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, by the way, here's the link. And here's what we're going to do. And here's what we're going to call it. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. So this is happening. <laughs> okay. So John's the driving force behind, you know, setting up all the stuff. That's why people confuse John oftentimes with the engineer. Um, they sometimes forget he's a, he's, he's the co-host. They're like, does John talk or just, is John just <laughs> over there pushing buttons? I'm like, oh man, none of this happens unless John pushes the buttons. Don't get me wrong. Um, but no, he's not the engineer. It's actually his freaking idea. Um, go figure. But you know, the truth of the matter is that I've spent 10 years on Facebook cultivating a bunch of relationships with people like you and uh, Brad Jersak and all, and John has too. And so we each have a, you know, there's a, there's a, a reservoir of people that we can go, Hey, I want to be on a podcast. And I, and I, we got a lot of yeses, like right out the gate. When your second guest is Brad Jersak, it's like, or no third guest. I think you were our we were the first guests, man. We we interviewed yeah. each other, and that was bad. Man, that was bad. <laughs> I want to delete that episode and redo it. But, you know, Jason was first because we're standing on the shoulders of Jason Elam. Um, we've literally copied oh, most oh. of what you do. So kudos to Jason and Messy Spirituality for being baller. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> and then, you know, and then but we reached out to guys like Brad Jersak and, you know, uh, Baxter Kruger and... You know, Paul Young, and all of a sudden you've got all these really heavy hitter guests coming on. Douglas Campbell just came on and Ruxy Cavey. And so that's been very, very cool. We didn't have any idea going in what it would look like. Uh, we certainly didn't have any idea going in uh, what kind of equipment and stuff we needed, right, John? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You remember our first interview, Jason? Yes. How I bad it was. I mean, no, I'm, I'm on good. a I'm on a laptop in an RV in <laughs> West Texas somewhere, like trying to talk into like these junky little headphones I bought and. If you go back and listen to that episode, you can hear a lot of like a lot of scratch, you know, because it's all, the cables in my headphones are, I don't know, if they're unshielded or something, but they're like, <laughs> do all this noise. I have noticed a great 
increase in quality of your episodes along the journey. Either you guys are learning or you started paying a producer. I don't know. Huh. Yes. I wonder what paying, happened there. We, well, <laughs> yes, we started learning. And yes, we started paying a producer because <laughs> oddly enough, one became available. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Eric, um, Eric's just been, gosh, he was, that, that's the deal maker, man. That's the guy that takes you from, hey, that's interesting to, hey, those guys don't suck. Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, like, yeah. there's, there's, there's a, there's a professional edge to everything I, now. I, I remember, like the, uh, when we were we were pitching to him what we wanted as our intro, right? And um, so we had these grand ideas of how our intro was going to be and what we wanted. And he basically graciously said, oh, those are good. How about this? And just dropped something on us, which is now our intro. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah this is yeah. the guy. This is the yeah, guy. From now on, you make the decisions, yeah, Eric. We don't, we, yeah. we don't yeah. know. We don't even, yeah, just, just just do what you do and we'll say yes. <laughs> yeah, of course, yes. then I had to reach out to, I had to email Baxter Kruger and say, hey, can we use this little voice clip of yours? Would that be cool? He's like, eh, sure, go for it, man, whatever. So we've been using <laughs> Baxter Kruger's little tagline as our intro. But yeah, I mean, Eric does that thing where, you know, he, you know what he does. I mean, he goes and, I mean, he fixes everything. He really does. He spends hours and hours on every single episode. He's got a meticulous ear for detail with audio. Meticulous. Yeah. I mean, I, there's some, there's times when I'm listening back to him like, man, I remember that sounding worse when we recorded it. Yeah. Man, he just fixed, like, all the levels are right and all the ums and uhs and the, you know, the, you know. I'm like, if I say something really dumb, just go ahead and cut it, man. If I, on my third F-bomb, start bleeping me, if that's all right. <laughs> that's what needs to happen. So, um, but yeah, it's been... He starts thinking he's producing an episode of the Heretic Happy Hour with Matt DiStefano once you drop the third F-bomb. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, just start putting that little cha-ching sound effect for the, you know, we're going to start doing a thing. I, I, I want John and I to start doing this where I need a sound effect of like a puppy being kicked. And every time John Piper's name gets mentioned, I wanted to, because I'm convinced that every time anyone says that dude's name, a puppy gets kicked. <laughs> oh, that guy makes me mad. Just, no animals were like, harmed. Stop saying John Piper. Puppies are suffering. No animals yeah. were. That's right. But uh, yeah, but no, that, that's been the. I mean, that's been such a difference maker. And I know he was. He worked on your podcast for quite a while and had nothing but nice stuff to say. Actually, your our relationship with you helped. Yeah. Carly that into a good relationship with him because he was like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I know you guys and man, it's just been it's been a good deal. And he's he's gotten some some work out of the deal too because yeah, I think he's actually um, producing Hair to Happy Hour now, which is a big deal. And he sure um, is. So yeah, he, talented guy and a super nice guy. And the Eric that we're talking about for those who are listening who don't know is Eric Howell, the podcast doctor, making middle aged yeah. white guys not suck since 2018. And we are all so grateful. <laughs> if you want to hear the difference, go back to the This Is Not Church podcast and listen to the first episode and tell me producers don't make a difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the That should yeah. be actually in like, that should be in Eric's portfolio somewhere. <laughs> like, this is before me. Yeah. These guys are awful. This is, <laughs> this is what I could do to fix it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, what, what Nat what Nat neglects to say as as he's saying that this was my this was my my uh, my idea and I you know I came up with it is I somehow naively thought that I could make all this work and uh, so I I put together our intro 
it's my voice on those god awful intros. Uh, I found some stupid canned uh, free music online, put that all together. I went through and tried to edit all the ums and uh, and I yeah. And there, it's just so blatantly obvious that I didn't know what I was doing. No, no. I thought you guys did a great job with what you had available to you. But Eric just has the ear that, man, yeah. I don't have. And I'm not capable of hearing some yeah, of the things right. that he removes yeah. that just make it so much better. Yeah, absolutely. Like all of John's voice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> was no, I'm just joking. Remember that episode, though? There was that, like... <laughs> we had the one with uh, our third one was with Brad Jersek and John didn't get to participate at all yeah. oh, because yeah. the other thing we didn't bear in mind was that, you know, his computer sucked. Yeah. And so the whole time the interview is happening, his computer's trying to crash. Oh, yeah. And no. so he literally has to sit there for the hour that I talked to Brad Jersek and he's like clicking no. No, don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. John's just like, I won't be able to talk. I'm going to have to sit here and babysit this thing and make sure the computer doesn't crash. Oh. Yeah. And so... You know, he actually like went back and said, Hey, you won't hear my voice on this. It's because, but it was just because then he ended up having to get a, the different, you know, swap his computer out. Cause this, you know, you think about things like internet bandwidth, sure, but you don't necessarily think about processor speed and all that other kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah, it, it's been a learning process, but the most fun has been, um, the most fun has been in our little private group that we run where, it's just this amazing, it's so reminiscent of when I initially started deconstructing um, where there was just like the, like the training wheels have come off, man. And people are daring to ask questions. And because it's private, they feel there's some freedom to ask some crazy questions, you know? Right. And so far, the people inside the group have just been lovingly letting people ask those questions and answering them. And even if they strongly disagree, they found ways to do that without killing each other which is remarkable. I've only had to toss one guy out and it was a friend of mine, but we have a, we have a strict, don't be a dick policy. Right. You know, that we can, we can do this and not hurt each other and not belittle each other and, um, and land in completely different places. And that's gotta be okay. Yep. You right. know? And so that's the, that's been a lot of fun to watch that grow. There's some people there who are literally just now starting to ask these questions and it's so fresh and it's so new and there's so much, as you watch these posts unfold, it's like, oh my God, I thought I was crazy. I thought I was the only one asking these questions. You know, right. we just had a, a guy that's been pretty active in the group respond to the the episode that we just released with Felicia Merle and Mercy Aiken. And he's like, oh my God, like we need to hear these voices. This mm-hmm. is how, it's like, I haven't heard this before. And so listening to something, somebody like Mercy, who's not Palestinian, but who has lived in Bethlehem, and has worked in that area and worked with Christian and Muslim groups with both, you know, Palestinian Christians and Palestinian Muslims and Israelis and has a firsthand understanding of what's happening in that region. And to hear her say stuff, you know, like, like, listen, American church, we need to stop with the, you know, the carte blanche support of the nation state of Israel. You can critique them and not be anti-Semitic. It's fine. They critique themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we have to hold each other accountable. You know, both sides of that conflict have blood on their hands. And um, it's been so tied up with American politics for so long that there is this knee-jerk support for anything Israel does. They're fine. They're good. They're the little, you know, martyr. They're the ones flying freaking fighter jets over. I mean, the Palestinians are tossing their rocks and shooting their little, you know, I'm not saying that they're that they're, that they're right to respond to violence with violence. But anyway, it's it's a fresh perspective. It's different. And it's not something that you hear. You certainly won't hear it in a, in a lot of American pulpits. They're either silent on the subject or 
they are rabidly pro-Israel. Right. Whatever they yeah. do is fine. Um, well, and, and, and for me, you know, out of that out of that conversation came the the question, uh, and I should I should know, but I didn't, you know, because you know a year ago I would have been the guy with the with the little frame around my Facebook post or, pay, or picture that says, you know, I I stand with Israel, right? And uh, Mercy just drops this this one basic idea is like, well, what about the Palestinian Christians that are just being bombed to hell? It's like, you you realize there's Christians there too, right? So you guys are standing with Israel as they're bombing your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, not to ignore the Muslims that are being killed either, but if you're going to stand there and say, hey, at, at minimum, I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ, you are you are sadly mistaken in your your, your carte blanche stand with Israel and ignoring your brothers and sisters on the other side. And you I have never heard a church preach or talk or support Palestinian Christians ever. Yeah. Well, and one of those things that I meant to ask her about, I don't know that we got to it too deeply was, you know, as we deconstruct Jason and we, you know, one of the first things I think you were similar to me, but one of the first things that, that went up on the chopping block was this whole end times eschatology rapture thing, right? right. Yep. Um, the whole left behind. But so much of our Western evangelical knee-jerk support of Israel is tied to that eschatology. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, this has to play out like this, or Jesus won't come back. Right. You know, this has to play out like this. This has to be this Armageddon type of conflict. And, you know, there are people like, you know, Mike Bickle, whose name I don't mind dropping, who is a nut job, who is, you know, his whole church's existence is, is centered around praying that thing into fruition, Right. If we just get enough, however this works, I love the idea of like aggregate prayer. Like we get enough prayer, I guess, prayer units that it will tip the scales and Jesus will finally come back. And then, you know, he's the one who likes to say that Jesus will come back and wade in the blood of his enemies. Um, yeah. Yeah. You need to rethink your gospel, brother. But, um, but that's why so much of this deconstruction is not pie in the sky. It's not. It's not abstract or, you know, just theologizing. There's real world application to the things that we believe and think. And when we're so wrapped up in that particular mindset, um, it's easy to say, well, of course I stand with with Israel. Um, no, I stand with Israelis. You yeah. know, I'm not against any human being. Um, I want a place, I think there's absolutely should be a place where, where Israelis can live in peace and have a, a, a sovereign state and... Mm-hmm self-governance and self-determination. Yeah, absolutely. I want the same thing for the Palestinians as well. They deserve that as well. But because we've wrapped so much of this up in that thing, it made it okay for 1948 to happen and for land to be stolen and just given away because, well, they're, you know, they're the chosen people. And so it's like, man, but it has, then you got to go even deeper and go, well, how many, we have the same mindset that allowed us to come to this continent strip the Native Americans of their land because of manifest destiny and all this other stuff that we that we think. And so of course, <laughs> why wouldn't we stand with Israel doing the same thing? Yep. Like this is our this was land, I guess, somehow God promised to us. And so anyway, it, it all begins to unravel though with the simple pulling of a thread or two. You know, I was telling I think I used this line on uh I forget it doesn't matter, but one of my favorite Christian artists of the eighties was Steve Taylor. Do you mm-hmm. remember him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh and he did his album, I Predict 1990, had a song and the line, uh, I can't remember the name of the song. I think it might have just been the line from this song, but he says, 
the truth unwinds like a cheap sweater. Mm. But since I gave up hope, I, I feel a lot better. And that's where <laughs> I feel like so much of this eschatology is so hopeless. It's, it's, it's borderline nihilistic, like, you know, fatalistic. Like, it's all just going to happen. We have to let prophecy unravel, blah, blah, blah. People are going to die. Bah, life sucks. People die. And man, it's just, it drives me absolutely crazy. Um, when you start to get a hold of an eschatology that actually is full of hope, different. And, and bad theology is one thing, but this mindset that people have bought into that they have to make it happen. I mean, I, I, I almost thought during yeah. the Trump era that evangelicals who were cheerleading the embassy being built in Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff, it was like, well, this has to happen and this is going to set off the Palestinians and then Muslims are going to surround Israel yep. and Jesus is going to come back. Why in the world, how in the world did we get the idea that Jesus, who taught us to love our enemies, is going to come back and slaughter his. Where did we get that in the gospel? It's not there, obviously. Uh, Brian Zahn makes a good point of saying that there, the imagery of, of, of Jesus coming back and being ha- having his robe dipped in blood, this, the, the imagery is there. Uh, it's his blood. Right. He's, he's the sacrificing, he's the sacrificial lamb. He's the one who goes like a lamb to the slaughter. He's the one who is, so when he comes back and his robe is dipped in blood, it's like, no, not the blood of his enemies, man. Cause that's not how Jesus rolls. This is, you know, but this is the same, these are the same folks. And it's the same ideology that would tell you, you know, that, that, that Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. And yet the ultimate play out for the vast majority of humanity is that Jesus is going to roast his enemies alive forever. Right. Right. So, and they don't see any contradiction in that. If you can, if you can mentally gymnastic your way through that mess of crap, what's on the table, what's off the table. Yeah. I mean, because that, I can't even get past that part of it. Hey, love your enemies. I'm not gonna. Right. um, But you should. Well, Um, I've even heard some, well-known ministers take that love your enemies and say, well, the most loving thing you can do to an unbeliever is, you know, condemn them to hell. So they know what, what's coming, you know, so they know the truth, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, now, you know what you did. (laughs) Well, you know, so the love looks a lot different to some people than others, but, but the one who we won't name because puppies get kicked, likes to say stuff like that, you know, like, and then there's another guy whose name I don't like to mention because I think cats get like declawed or something. But, um, um, but there's, you know, there's this whole idea that he, there's a meme that runs around with one of his quotes about, you know, all of heaven will rejoice when you enter the gates of hell because the world will be rid of you. I'm like, what Jeez. kind of toxic horse crap <laughs> theology, you know? And the thing is, here's what kills me. All right. I have been accused, and I know you have, and I know, John, you have. We've been accused of, of, of preaching an ear-tickling message, right? That's, that's, that's the thing that gets thrown at people like us who preach grace and inclusion and love, right? Oh, you're just giving people what they want to hear. Actually, the truth is, if that was true, I'd be packing people into my church. There'd be 10,000 people in my right. church right now. The truth of the matter is that guys like Paul Washer and Mark Driscoll and John Piper— and Mike, Mike Bickle, and I could name, 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 name people who literally condemn people the hardest. Man, they pack them in, dude. That's the ear tickling message. Because the truth of the matter is, we need someone to hate. The truth of the matter is, I need somebody to other. I need somebody I can look down on. And that's the thing that, you know, uh, Matthew DeStefano, <laughs> I'm going to mess his, I do it on purpose now, mess his name up. Matthew DeStefano. 
Matthew, Matty D <laughs> said something the other day on, you know, posted this on Facebook. Like, like all y'all people think that, uh, this universalism thing is easy. And he's like, actually, no, it's not. My dad's a whatever. I don't want to see him in, you know, so this, this idea that the, you know, that God will somehow bring everything to a close in a positive way that he will ultimately drag, as the Bible says, you know, if I be lifted up, I will drag all people to me. Um, that includes people I don't like, man. That includes people, if I'm being really honest with you, I wouldn't mind seeing get a little bit of what's coming to them. Um, and the hard thing to, to reconcile is the fact that, um, no, that, that, that Christ died for them as well. And that, you know, all of the worst people you can imagine, God's in the business of dragging them into the kingdom as well. But that takes away all of our, all of our sense of justice, which we've always, we've, we've talked about before, which is nothing more than vengeance is, you know, the, the good get what's coming and the bad get what they deserve. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big, ugly mess, but yeah, the ear tickling message is the hellfire and brimstone message. I think that's the one that I think is appealing to the more human side of our nature. It takes more faith to believe that one day in eternity, we will enjoy the presence of God alongside Osama bin Laden than it does to believe that God hates all the same people we hate and will destroy them. Right. I mean, every, every single time, every single time you bring all this stuff up, it's yeah. I mean, it's, it's so predictable. It's not even funny. Right. Like, well, what about, I know what you're going to say. I can actually write your argument out for you, dude. What about Hitler? What yeah. about whatever? Okay. Yeah. Well, guess what? Hitler wasn't always Hitler. There was a time in the world when Hitler was somebody's child who was beloved. Um, something happened to him just like happened to everybody else. He, I'm, I'm, I lean towards the question now for anybody like that. Like, what the hell happened to you, man? Like, yeah. really, what went so horribly wrong that this, this, this is the result of that, you know? And yeah, there's, there's a reckoning for what you've done. I believe that. Um, Brad Jersak does a really good job of talking about the fact that, you know, he's not discounting, um, the fact that, that, that the Bible says Jesus will come and judge. But what we lose sight of is that judgment is penultimate. And that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, yeah, there's yep, a reckoning. Right. I believe so. I believe there's judgment to be, to be handed out for some things that, that we have done. And, but I do believe that the mercy of God will triumph all of that. And that will trump all of that. Mm-hmm. If I can, can I take yeah. that word back, by the way? Can we trump things now? <laughs> and not immediately go, oh. um, so, but I love that word, you know, maybe, you know, I, I, I use that word and about half the people I talk to go, okay, now I got to go look up the word penultimate. How do you spell it? You know, but it's just, it's right. just yeah. second to last, right? It's not the final yeah. thing. And so right. that and the, you know, the idea that sometimes when we hear the word judgment, we always assume that that's a negative thing. You know, judges can, mm-hmm. can, right. can determine you to be not guilty as well. So you've been judged and found, you know, guilty, innocent, whatever. I, I, I don't know. My, my, my hope, and I know John's is the same way, is is that um, is that God is way bigger and way better. And you know, when when the Bible talks about you know His ways are higher than our ways, it's not talking about His wrath, man. It's 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 always in reference to His mercy and His goodness. So yeah, His ways are not my ways because I probably wouldn't let that guy off the hook, right. but He just might. So, all right, question for both of you. We're going to start with John. When you talk about, I just couldn't do this anymore talking about church that you left. What does that mean? What couldn't you do anymore? John? I told you before we uh, hit record that I, I feel that I can, I'm a little freer now, right? But now that you asked the question, I'm like, I'm, I'm, hedging, I'm hedging a little bit. I, I still have friends that go to both the churches that I, you know, when I left one church to 
joined a church. And then when I left the, uh, the associate pastor, worship pastor position, I still have friends there. And, um, I was as honest as I could be with them when I was preaching. And that was one of the issues that I had is I was honest as I could be. I wasn't transparent. I wasn't authentic. So what that means for me now is I am free to say what I want to say. So when I want to say that I stand with my LGBTQ siblings, I can, I can say that without having to worry about, am I going to get somebody in trouble? Am I going to, am I, have I overstepped my bounds? Uh, the things that I could, I just couldn't do anymore was that I just couldn't, I couldn't be quiet anymore. We're watching, um, our, uh, siblings of color die needlessly. And I couldn't, I couldn't be quiet anymore. But, you know, when you're in a position where I was at, where I'm, I'm under, under a leadership, uh, I have to kind of fall in line, right? I have to kind of, of, um, come to a point and then I have to step back and not say what I want to say. Um, so what I, what I couldn't do anymore was that I just couldn't be quiet. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't ignore the questions that were coming up in my head that I knew other people had. And we just had to get to a point where we could talk about these questions. It's like, okay, so the Bible is not inerrant. I'm sorry. It's not, it just, it isn't. But we need to talk about that. And what does that mean? What does that mean for your faith? What does that mean for um, your ability to reason and look at the Bible from a different perspective? Women, you know, like, like I've mentioned before, women in ministry, women in any kind of position of power that men are just not okay with had to be addressed. Um, so there was a lot of things going on right at that time with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, some LGBTQ plus violence happening. Uh, some shootings that we were we all w- watched online, and then the uh, the Beth Moore thing with uh, just just go home, right? Uh, these were all kind of culminating into this position where I'm like I'm being stifled. I can't speak my mind. I can't say what I need to say about these things. I need to step away so I can voice my opinion without worrying about what other people think of me or say about me, or if I'm getting someone else in trouble. Uh, because I've overstepped my bounds. So these are the things that I just couldn't do anymore. And did, you know, was there a lot of pushback? Hell yeah, there was a lot of pushback. Um, did I lose some friends? Yes, absolutely I did. There's, I, I, I put a post up once recently said, um, I don't know which is worse, the people just coming at me like full force or the ghosting because, um, it just happened, it just happened yesterday. Again, someone I know I've known for a, quite a while saw them at my place of employment and I get the little smile, the little nod, and then the quick turn away, right? Because they don't know how to address me anymore. They don't know how to talk to me anymore. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with talking about whatever you want to talk about. I'm just going to be a little freer in what I say now. Right, uh, yeah. And you're just going to have to be okay with that. And, um, but I just, I just can't stomach this idea that the church has all the answers because it absolutely doesn't. This idea that there's a guy behind a pulpit who has some kind of crazy authority to explain away every every um, misunderstanding you might have of the Bible or they have of the Bible, and you are just supposed to take that without any kind of like questioning. I I, I just can't do that anymore. 
Um, I mean, Nat and I talk about this, uh, and Jason, you, you've mentioned this before too. It's like, um, I don't even use the word Christian anymore. I know both of you do. And, uh, and I applaud you both for using it. Uh, it's just a word that, and that was another thing that I had to, it just had to, I had to let go of is, um, this word because it just, it doesn't explain who I am. It doesn't explain my connection to Jesus. It doesn't explain my connection to God. Um, I feel the word has been hijacked by a group of people who just don't understand Jesus. And, um, so this has freed me to be able to talk the way I need to talk, say the things I need to say, and um, try to find a better connection with Jesus and um, find a better way to love people. And I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh. I believe it was Thich Nhat Hanh who says, uh, you know, if, if you truly love your enemies, you'll find a point where you actually don't have any enemies anymore mm-hmm. because once you love them, they are no longer your enemy. Right. And that's kind of where I'm at. I love that. Nat, how about you? What could you just not do anymore? Oh, how much time you got, man? <laughs> I got all the time in the world for you. There was a, there was a bevy, a bevy of a plethora. <laughs> I can't say the word plethora without thinking of three amigos. Would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, I have You have a plethora. Um, anyway, um, my main frustration um, with the church was and is its structure. You know, that was one of the things that I, I got out of our discussion with Paul Young was it was like, like we can't even talk about church without and, and not talk about structure because we've we've just put church in this box of being systems and structures and hierarchies. And um, I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't, you know, I was part of a church that I really liked, you know, I, I, I can nitpick and, fi- and find fault with it. That's fine. Um, but by and large, I was I was I was happy there for quite a while. But even that church was susceptible to king orders and hierarchies and people with presumed authority because of the titles they, they hold. And there, there was this ability to withhold things from me and give things to me as I did or I did not play ball. You know what I mean? And some of that happened. Um, I'm writing about this in a, in a book, actually. Uh, hopefully they'll love me even after I write this. But um, but I'm writing about this because so much of it happened behind the scenes and, and didn't, it was never even brought to my attention that I had somehow run afoul of the rules. I just started having things taken away from me. So, for example, I was, you know, fairly regularly on the preaching rotation and that just stopped. And I didn't notice at first. I'm like, well, I guess, you know, year, a year goes by. And I'm like, hey, I haven't preached in a while. And I finally forced the issue. And, well, it turns out I've made the board mad. And they don't think that I'm either mature enough or whatever enough. To, here's what's really funny, all right? And I'm going to, eh, to hell with it. Get into a meeting with these people, sit into a room, and there's four people in the room, and they're all hearing from the same Holy Spirit. They don't agree. I'm like, which one of you's lying? You know, like, uh, you're all telling them that, and that's the, that's the great cop-out for charismatic Christians is the Holy Spirit told me, Right? I'm getting to a point where I don't even believe, I I don't believe that's true of most people. Like you just know that the second you tell me that the Holy Spirit told me, I can't question you anymore. Like, well, Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. Not, well, I guess I can't argue with that. I mean, God spoke. Well, who am I to, you know, so I couldn't do that anymore. I couldn't do the, you know, the sort of built in nepotism and actually, you know, 
I bought into that as much as anybody else. I find myself striving for a place in this church that I'm like, I'm not even sure I want that. You know, why do I want, you know, Caleb Miller is the first one that started squawking in my, in my lifetime anyway, in my life, uh, squawking about the stage being so toxic and, and so, and yet so seductive. And so, and I had to look at myself and go, okay, why do I want that? Well, I, what, what does that say about me? Do I want that for the right reasons or, I, or am I looking for a platform? And then, so all of that had to shift. Um, the focus of church had to get back to being about people. It had to be so much less about the show. Um, and we were putting on a hell, of, a hell of a production, man. The music was good and the lights were good. And, the, you know, it was slick. And it was, you know, we spent a lot of time sitting around talking about transitions. And it's more like, like directing theater than, than a church service, you know. And then, you know, all the other, all the other things that you tend to focus on, I, I couldn't do the, the obsession with growth and numbers and, you know, the constant comparisons to the other churches in town. Are we, are we, are we doing, are we, how many people do we have on Easter? Do we, they had more than us, but we were, you know, anyway, all of, all the trappings of, of traditional church. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a long list of things I couldn't do. Um, I'm with John and the other part of that was the culture of, of unquestioned loyalty, you know, and, and you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that John steps down because, and, I, and it was one of the reasons that I stepped out as well as I, it wasn't fair to continue in this position if I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Although I would have, had I had the freedom to do and say, and voice opinions that I needed to voice and not get, you know, threatened with being fired over it. So um, had they cultivated a, a culture that was more open and like, Hey, listen, we're, you know, yeah, say what you need to say, do what you need to do. Let's, 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 let's have the questions. Um, but, but it really wasn't like that. So we've tried very hard in the new church to cultivate that. Um, that being said, if somebody was to, you know, jump up in my pulpit and start preaching stuff that I think is completely crazy, I'd probably, <laughs> I'd probably exercise some, some opinions there too. So maybe I've fallen in the same trap. I don't know, man. Uh, I want to ask you both a, another question about uh, church while we're on that subject. If you had a thousand of the quote unquote most successful Christian leaders in America uh, sitting before you, hanging on your every word, for the moment anyway, what would you say to them? If they invited you to come speak at their event, their conference, which for me would never happen, but if it did, <laughs> what would you say? What is the most important thing that church leadership needs to hear in the United States of America right now? John? I would, I would tell them that people are literally dying in their churches, sitting in their pews, afraid to be who they are. They're literally killing themselves because you people have made them feel as if they are not worthy because of who they really are. You have ignored the plight of the marginalized because they don't fill your coffers. You have ignored the cries of the, of your congregation because you are so blinded by hate for the other that you, you would rather ignore them and pretend like they don't exist. Jesus teaches the exact opposite. Jesus goes and sits with these people and tells them that they are beloved, that they are children of God, 
not because at some point they are going to be better or different, but because of who they are right now. So your LGBTQ plus siblings, your fellow congregation that happen to be a different color than you, they are loved right now, not because of anything they're going to do different, not because of something they're going to be in the future, but because of that, that God loves them, period. I mean, I might go a little deeper and just let them know that, hey, you know, this goes for your Muslim friends too. This goes for your atheist friends too. This goes for your Hindu friends, your Buddhist friends. I'm sorry, you don't have the, uh, the answers that are just completely yours. You need to start listening to people of other faiths. You need to start listening to people who don't have a faith and listen because you, church, are going to die because people are finally seeing through your bullshit. They're finally seeing through your level of complacency in all of this and they don't want anything to do with it anymore. So you either need to wake up, look around, see that they've always been there with you and you have just not given them the table to speak and they will always be there with you and you need to give them a space. And this goes for also your your fellow congregation who have disabilities, mental illness. Um, geez, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I, I, I've talked about this in our last podcast. Uh, I believe her name is Stephanie Tate. If I got the name wrong, I'm sorry. But she made a comment about disability theology. And one of the things that she brought up was this idea is like, you can tell me that your church is open to people with disabilities, but when I walk into your church and there's not a ramp that allows me to get up onto the pulpit, that me- that shows me exactly the level of your acceptance of me. It means I'm okay to be in your church. I'm not okay to be in any kind of leadership. I am not okay to be able to be to, to speak in your church. And that goes again, that goes with everything. That goes with people of color. That goes with the LGBTQ plus community. That goes with women. That goes with indigenous people. That goes with your your Muslim friends. You are not allowing space for any of them. And if as long as you're not allowing space for any of them, not allowing space for anybody. So wake up, open your hearts, open your church, and love everybody. That would be Amen. that would be my soapbox moment. Wow. Very good. No, I love it. Matt, your turn. <laughs> uh, how do you follow that? Um, I, I mentioned this before I before I answer. I was part of a church once, and uh, we got in trouble, and everybody was really mad. But uh, city officials had come in and said, "Hey, you don't have a ramp up to your stage area," and we're like, "Yeah, we don't have any disabled preachers." <laughs> it never struck me until just now. I'm like, "What a crappy thing!" We were mad. We had to put a ramp up to the stage. Like I, they had no intention of ever having somebody on the stage. She was in a, that's funny, man. That's weird. But anyway, um, so gosh, I mean, that, that's a tough one. Um, I'm trying to imagine now who would be in this audience. So all of my detractors, all the people who've blocked me on Facebook, you know, all the people I've trolled and who've responded in kind, but, you know, but also, you know, the Stephen Furtick's of the world, these guys with these big platforms, you know, these guys who have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who follow them on Facebook and Instagram and, Man, I would just, what I would like to say to them is, for the love of God, use your platform for good. You know, stop using it to divide us even further, you know. There really is, when it comes down to it, you know, Jesus and Paul both distill the law into one commandment, and it's love your neighbor. Um, 
So I guess I would tell them two things. One, um, take that seriously, you know, take that loving your neighbor thing seriously, seriously enough that you don't parse what that means because you become just like the Pharisees when, you know, when, when Jesus says, love your neighbor. And your first question is, well, who's my neighbor? Now you're already trying to squirm out of it, man. Why are we trying to, we're trying to parse the word neighbor. And then they'll go so far as to parse the word love and say, well, like you said a little while back, well, the most loving thing I could do is, you know, call them out on their sin or make sure they go to hell or um, how that becomes love. I don't know, but you have to do all these weird mental gymnastics to get there. So I just would love to see these guys use their platforms um, in such a way that they are literally just extending the love of Christ to the world. You know, it sounds simple. It sounds naive, but I remember telling my church a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, I've, you know, I, you know, my position on hell and eternal conscious torment. Um, but I've been loath to talk about that from the pulpit because it can so easily be misconstrued and labels can be thrown around and people get their nose bent out of joint, but I'm tired of pussyfooting around. So I had a, you know, we were in a series about parables. And so I'm like, Hey, let's talk about the rich man and, and Lazarus and how it's not about hell. You know, how Jesus uses a subversive tactic, uses the backdrop of a hell that some of them believe in to actually show them fine, but you're going there. Like, that's the whole point of that parable. It's not, oh my gosh, the literal description of a heaven and a hell. No, it's actually a subversive parable that says, if if you imagine a hell, fine, but you're populating it. It'll be you guys, not the people you hate. And so um, in that sermon, I, I I pretty well laid out the fact that you know, I just don't, I don't, I don't believe that that's, that's, that's a just punishment, you know, um, for a variety of reasons. But, um, and in that place we talked about, well, so then what is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is, is love. It's love. It's love. It's, it's, it's this radical, crazy, you know, love that goes so far as to love even people that you don't, that you wouldn't normally like. And not just to tolerate them and accept them in your presence, but to actually actively um, hope and wish and pray for their well-being, which is a whole nother level, man. I mean, it's one thing to tolerate folks. It's a whole nother to go, yeah, I'm actually like, like I actually want good things for you. And so would it make a difference? I don't know, man. There's enough people out there um, who I think give me reason to be somewhat hopeful that the tide can turn on this, but man, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little pessimistic that the Western evangelical church will stop doing anything they're doing until it stops working for them. And so there's not a ton of incentive when they're still filling up their, their massive auditoriums, you know? Yeah. It kind of feels like it's up to us, doesn't it though? I mean, I remember hearing Carl Forehand recently talk about getting to a point in his reconstruction that he began to feel compassion when talking to and about the fundamentalists who have caused him great anguish and caused him great pain, starting to feel compassion instead of anger. And and there's not too many people that I can ask this question to, but I feel like I can put the two of you on the spot. Are you there? Do you feel like you, when, when you think about the John Pipers and the uh, John MacArthur's and all the puppy kicking Paul Washer's, uh, <laughs> do you feel compassion towards them or do you just feel angry? Um, no, I'm not there yet. Nah. Um, I'm just not. They make me mad, dude. Um, and uh, I, I, that, that reveals in me a place where that I, I still have to let grace and love and mercy saturate me more. But I no, I do. I, I I get triggered by it. I don't get triggered by them. If I see a picture of 
John Piper. I don't, I don't cringe, but usually the words he say, the words he does say makes me just want to puke, you know? And it's that, it's, it's the fact that he's, you know, and I, I pick on, I pick on Piper cause he's easy, but there's, there's a hundred like him. There's a thousand like him. Um, he just happens to have a bigger stage than a lot of them. But, um, it's the fact that they've backed themselves into such a corner that in order for their theology to be consistent, they have to go to these crazy extremes or they, they begin to build these places where even they have to make caveats. I remember telling somebody, and I didn't know this at the time, but um, I remember saying, well, surely then in, in a theology like Piper's or Washer's, one of these really neo-Calvinist guys, surely they have to say that, that unsaved children go to hell. Or they're inconsistent, right? So in your theology, not only is God roasting people alive in some subterranean torture chamber, which he has to magically, supernaturally sustain and whatever. You can tell me that God's not in it, but there's no way he's not. Um, but now there's actually infants there. There are there are babies who, you know, weren't baptized. There were, you know, and, and actually it turns out John, uh, Mr. Piper does not believe that. And so then you go, oh, well, there's a chink in the armor, isn't there? God made an exception for that one. This God who makes no exceptions made an exception because even he can't wrap his head around torturing babies. Sorry, he, apparently John has limits. But apparently that also means to me then we've got to talk about this a lot, man, and get to a place where when we can imagine that the God who we have always defined and you know compared our goodness against, right, I'm only I'm good. God's a hundred billion times better than me. And when we've still managed to contort him and twist him into some sort of supernatural, you know, Boy Scout roasting marshmallows over an open fire. I don't understand that. I'll I'll never understand how how you can look me in the face. You might tell me that's just and and even that's bullcrap, but you'll never convince me it's good. And so then you can't claim that God is a God of infinite goodness if that's the, if that's the end result. My God is a God um, who unrelentingly pursues, for whom death is not an impediment, you know, who, who is not in the business of giving up. So I, I, I just find a tremendous amount of hope in a God who will pursue until, you know, and obviously Jesus believes this or he wouldn't tell parables like he told about, you know, searching for lost sheep until he finds them. But yeah, that's a... Uh, that's where I'm at. So yeah, I start with angry, but I still get to, I, I'll, I'll get around to compassion. I mean, I don't, I want them to see the light too. I just want them to see it now. Yeah. God, stop hurting people yeah, with your right. bullcrap theology. Because you see the people who are being left in their wake. They're just being ripped apart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I saw Carl's post and uh, I, for right now, I give myself space to change because if that was, if I didn't, I would have to, I would have to go look back at who I was even a year ago and go, well, obviously I can change, but I'm kind of with Derek day when I saw, I think his, I think he had a one or one word response to that one was nope. <laughs> um, and that's kind of where I'm at. Um, and it's, I, I, I hope that someday that I can find a place where I can find compassion for and understanding, not, not understanding of their theology. Cause that's never going to happen. But understanding of that, there's there's some pain there. There's 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 some stuff behind the scenes that that makes them have to be who they are and why they are. But right now, when I see the damage 
that 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 their theology is doing. Um, I mean, just you know, I'm I'm a middle aged heterosexual white man, you know, throwing out my opinions on some of the stuff and the the bullshit that I get, the anger that I get. I have to keep reminding myself is like so minimal compared to the people, you know, like the Derek Days, the Kyle Butlers, the Kevin Garcias, the um, I mean, the list goes on and on. The the the, the Felicia Murrells, the PK Langleys. I mean, all these people that are standing up and saying, "No, enough is enough." What you're saying is just bullshit, and you're killing people. So yeah, I <laughs> I'm not there. I, I, I uh, so so in other words, nope. Nope. <laughs> John is unapologetically, nah. Nope. I'm somewhat nope. apologetically um, like, I want to be there. That's my aspiration. I do. I did. I saw, Kyle, I saw Carl's post and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, I think I'm there more than I'm not. There are, there are a handful of people who will trigger me more than others. But, you know, Jason, you've been a pastor. I'm a pastor. John's been a pastor. When you see the firsthand damage, that this kind of theology does. And John's exactly right when he talked about, you know, a little while back, he's like, y'all are killing people. I mean, there really are people literally dying and you don't seem to give a damn that you've put, you know, especially especially in the LGBTQ community when you say, you know, there's so much inner conflict if they're, if they're raised in the church and I have friends who are coming out and have come out and um, thankfully some of them have found supportive families and, you know, they've, they've but others have not. We went to an event a couple of years ago and put up a sign, you know, it was like free hugs. And it was like, you know, I didn't get to go to this one, but my intention was to be there with a shirt that said free dad hugs. Hmm. Makes me cry. Because they've been rejected by their own families. God damn it. Why do we do that? How, how bad is it that, that I could stand as a perfect stranger and hug total strangers who would just melt into you and because their own fathers have turned their backs. I'm an emotional guy. It makes me sad and it makes me mad. And a lot of that was done in the name of Jesus or religion. That's the yeah. kicker. You know, you know who got me, um, man, um, have you talked, if you haven't talked to Bruxy Cavey or listened to him, um, Bruxy was, I watched a little bit of a sermon he did a while back and that was his thing was like, you know, when Jesus distills the law down to, you know, love God and love people. And then he says, Paul comes along and distills it down to one. He says, love people, right? And so he's like, are they in, are Jesus and, and Paul in contradiction? He's like, no, go back and look at this other verse. Jesus does the same thing, right? He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, right? And so Bruxy's take on that, and I think he's 100% right, is that, listen, I don't actually give a damn if you can say you love God, but you don't love people because those two things can't coexist. Show me how you love God. Right. Show me how you love God by how you love people. Um, because plenty yeah. of God, plenty of people in Jesus day and plenty of people today um, have loved God. And they're, they're, the way they've shown that love of God is by hating people. I love God mm-hmm. so much. I can't possibly associate with you. I love God so much that I couldn't possibly tolerate this behavior I see as aberrant or whatever. Um, and so in their love of God, they've become exclusive and tribal and weird. Um, and so, yeah, let's just jettison that part altogether. And let's focus in on the loving people. And by loving people, you'll actually be accomplishing the first as well. And so, Absolutely. man, 
so much of so much of what we have done in the name of Jesus, I, it's just so antithetical to the message of of the gospel. It makes me it makes me angry. It makes me sad. Um, and that's what John, you know, that's what that's what John and I try to do. Is you know, uh, the whole reason this podcast exists is that that we want to have conversations about church that are unchurchy, um, that are that maybe can get you know unraveled somewhat from what what people traditionally think of when they hear the word church. Um, it's been really funny to explain the title of the podcast to people and guests who will then push back and say stuff like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul Young's my, my favorite line from that whole Paul Young interview was like, I understand the name of your podcast. Um, I don't agree with you, um, but I understand it because he's like, because actually we're having church. That's what's happening here is we're, you know, and, and what we had to tell him was like, well, yeah, it's, we're, we're being a little tongue in cheek with that. You know, because for so long we've 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 cordoned off this space over here and said this is church, but this isn't. And so we just kind of grabbed it. So well, now mm-hmm. this I guess this isn't church. But the reality is, the conversations we're having with people are some of the most affirming, encouraging, interesting. Like it's it's John and I. How many times, John, do you think have we got off of an interview and went like, "Holy crap! Like that just happened. Like that was that oh, was geez. amazing." We, we, we've come to the conclusion, I think, and I think it was, we didn't even speak about it. It just kind of happened uh, organically. It was like, we kind of have to give ourselves like five or 10 minutes after the conversation, just Nat and me to kind of, just kind of go, whoa, damn, that just happened. And it, we, we had that conversation. Yeah. And uh, so it was kind of like a decompress um, kind of, you know, our little moment of like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously part of it's, you know, just fanboying out on the person that we just got to talk to, you know, I mean, we talked to Paul Young. I mean, like, oh my God, I just talked, I just talked to Paul Young. I got Young, Paul Young's number right? in my phone. I could I call know, him. I know. <laughs> He's like, don't, just don't but, call me, man. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, don't, don't call me. But at the same time, it's, it's that moment of us like looking at each other and, you know, just having that moment where we're like, yeah, these, this is why we're doing yeah, this. Yeah. Because these are the conversations that the church is afraid to talk, to have. These are the conversations that, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the title of the, the podcast was my idea and it, it came from this idea of me seeing things happening on Facebook, people calling out people on Facebook on for whatever, you know, you can fill in that blank with whatever, you know, flavor of the week is whatever the church is attacking. And I just kept looking and I was like, well, this isn't that, this is not church. This is not what church is supposed to be. So when I came up with the idea for the title, it was somewhat twofold and yes, tongue in cheek part of it. But the other parts of it were, this is not church, meaning we aren't trying, this isn't a building, this isn't a structure. Um, But the other part of that title is, this is not church, meaning we want you to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, We are giving you permission because we're not saying we're inside some kind of structure that has to follow some kind of rules or some kind of guidelines. We are saying whatever you want to talk about yeah. is okay. And in whatever way you want to do that, you know, if you you know, if, you know, Matt comes on and wants to say what Matt wants to say. So <laughs> we, we, uh, we don't have a, uh, I don't know where I wouldn't say we're gratuitously working in the profanity, but I'm not going to, I don't know if that's the way people talk, man. You know, it's it. I've, right. I've, I've yep. long gotten right. over worrying about a word, man. 
there's way bigger and way more hateful, hurtful F words than the one that gets dropped on by Matt DeStefano every once in a while. Um, so yeah, I'm, right. I'm fine with the, I'm fine with the little E by our podcast. John, I think John tries to work at least one in there so he can put that by every one. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's something, something Good countercultural. Job, like we said, John, we only, we, we said the word shit like once and you're like, Oh, E I'm like, Really? Come on, man. There's there's more profanity in a Rugrats episode. <laughs> but it. Uh, well, I, I I knew where we were going. Yeah, yeah. It was it was safer just to yeah, put, just it on put them all on there. Like, worry about it later. But it's been cool. Like we had a guy. So I don't know if you know who Paul Bergman is, but we just had we had had two conversations with Paul. I love and Paul, Paul is, Bergman. Yeah. Paul is man. Paul is the coolest dude. I want to be Paul when I grow up. Um, and he's just retired from ministry. So he's, but he's not retired from ministry. You know what I mean? He's retired from church, but he's, he's doing more now than he's ever done. But, um, and so you get a guy like him on and, and, and and you have these deep conversations about Jesus with a guy who's not even sure he believes anymore, except that the central message of Jesus that he's supposed to love people. He can buy that. And that's what he's doing. He's like, I'm just going to love people the best I can. I will let the rest of this stuff sort itself out. I don't care about any of it, but I can't quite let that part of it go. And so this is a guy who's a right. pastor in Southern California for a long time, and people have his cell phone number. And he's like, people told him he's nuts. Don't give people your cell phone numbers. Like, why? How else can they call me? Like, oh, because most pastors don't want people to call them. But he's like, I got a call in the middle of the night from a guy who's, you know, he says a, uh, a guy got um, – his, his car died. His battery died. He's in a park. It's about to close. He's going to get hauled off. The cops are not tolerant. So once the, once the park closes, people have to go. And so he's about to have his car towed and all this bad stuff was going to happen. And so he calls Paul, you know, late at night. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, okay. But how in the world did you find my number? And he's like, well, I started flipping through the, the phone book and I called two or three churches and they all said, call Paul. <laughs> and, <laughs> So he's like, and then wow. I found your, I found your church in the, in the yellow pages or whatever. And he goes, oh, and, and lo and behold, you, you published your cell phone number. He's like, well, yeah, what else can you call me? I'm like, okay, there's a guy who's doing the work. You know what I mean? And he may ruffle feathers yeah. and he may come off as, as, as however he comes off. But man, what a, what a guy, right, John? And we, we liked him so much. We're like, we, yeah. we weren't done. We got through an hour plus conversation with him. And we're like, Okay, so this isn't over yet, right? We need to talk some more about stuff, and so we we had another hour plus long conversation with him that could wow. have gone. But yeah, he's a he's a fantastic guy. But anyway, that conversation is one of twenty five or so that we've had that have all been like mind blowing stuff. So it's great. It's incredible. Well, friends, check out the This Is Not Church podcast. It's called This Is Not Church because this is not the toxic church you left behind is too long of a title. Yes. And so uh, <laughs> this is not church. We're going to That's link great. to that in the show notes. Um, Nat, before we go, um, will you just tell us about the coffee house? Tell us the name of the coffee house. Tell us about this book that sure. you just mentioned. I, I, you just teased us about a book a minute ago. I'd love to hear more about that when it's yeah. been released. And then John, sure. uh, after he's done with that, tell us how to find uh, everything that we've talked about today involving your podcast and your blog. All right, Nat, you're up first. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the coffee house is uh, it's called the Bearded Barista. 
Um, and we are a artisan level coffee house. I roast all my own coffee. I do all anyway. So full service coffee shop in San Angelo, Texas. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat. Good God. My daughter is my, is my social media guru and she's got us out on everything. Right. So, um, she's putting out some fun content. Uh, website is, uh, dot com. Uh, from there, you can order stuff like coffee beans and T-shirts with my face on it. And not like anybody wants that. <laughs> <But they laughs> I ordered one yesterday. Yes, you did. You should have it. Yeah. No oh, man. You're going to have walking around in Florida with a bearded dude on your back. But, but anyway, that, that's <laughs> happening. Um, oddly enough, um, one of the people um, that we had a podcast interview with was uh, a lady named Meg Calvin. And I didn't know, I didn't know a thing about Meg, except John had somehow become aware of her. And uh, I think she's a choir author, right? Yeah. And she'd written a book called I Am My Own Sanctuary. And so we had her on to just to talk about, ostensibly to talk about that book. And, uh, and she drops this little nugget. We have this long conversation about how she sees, she's a writer, but she also has transitioned into being a writing coach. So she's like, I want to help Christians grab a hold of their power, you know, that, that as co-creators and all, and all the start to break down those barriers of all those things that, you know, we're supposed to not call attention to ourselves and not supposed to try and be ambitious. And anyway, so that's her deal was, I forget her tagline was something about spiritual go-getters. And, and John's like, I'm not sure what that is or if I am one, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, um, had this really cool conversation with her. And then afterwards offline, I just said, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about what you do for people. And so we sat down and had a little chat about um, writing a book that I've been, that's been percolating in my head for about a decade. And um, so I hired her and we've been working for about a month now. And uh, yeah, so I'm writing a book about, about deconstruction. I know crazy that it's the topic du jour, but it's really my own, a lot of it's my own personal story, 10, 15 years of going through this stuff and breaking things down and the, um, what I've learned and, you know, where I'm still going. So that, that's what we're doing. Um, hopefully, uh, we get that done. She, she promises me if I'll do the work that we can get it done in six months. So whether awesome. that six you months title in, in mind yet, um, I do, but I'm still fooling with it a little bit. So I'm, I'm going to keep that okay. one to myself for now. But, um, but yeah, I will be teasing some stuff about that as quickly as I possibly can, because, uh, it holds me accountable to keep writing. So it's like, because you know, in the middle of this, like, I didn't have enough going on, you know, got the church and we got the, oh, let's, let's start a business. Oh, and now's a good time to write a book. And uh, yeah, so, but it, it's, I've written more in a month after hiring her than I had in the 10 years previous. So, you know, say, wow, that's, that's what I would say for Meg Calvin. If you're, if you're thinking about writing a book, if you need somebody who can help you not just organize and structure your stuff, but also give you tremendous input and also act as your therapist, which is fantastic. Um, help you break down those things that, you know, cause you to maybe like, like whatever writer's block might be happening or yeah. Or even just someone to hold you accountable and kick your ass when you don't write that it's yeah. uh, to me so far, it's, it's just been, it's been a fantastic investment on my side. So I highly recommend Meg's great. So look her up, but fantastic. that's where we are. All right. We're looking forward to that book. I hope you'll come back on the podcast when uh, your book's ready to go out. Yeah, we'll absolutely. When uh, when Harper Collins picks it up and we end up, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. No, that would be. I absolutely will. I'll, I'll keep. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> All right, John. Tell us how to find the podcast. Uh, easiest way to find the podcast is uh, thisisnotchurch.com. dot com. All the links to the podcast, um, the blogs that we do. Um, we we link to. Uh, 
all our guests. We have all of our upcoming guests there. Uh, so you know who's coming and we make a link to their pages. Uh, so, so you can check them out prior to even hearing them on our podcast. Uh, we, but yeah, we are, we are on, I believe every platform available. Um, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Spotify, uh, I, I, Spotify, um, iTunes, or um, no, TuneIn Radio. I mean, everything. We're, uh, yeah, the easiest, but the easiest way to get to us is just through our website, and then it, it links to everything from there. Is there a link to your Facebook group there? I want folks to be able to find that if they can. And you know what? I don't think there is. So okay. I'm going to have to fix that. I'm going to link is, to but, that um, in the show notes here because that group has, I mean, for me, that group has become what the Messy Conversations group was for the original podcast that we did. It's just a safe place where folks can toss out questions and get opinions and there are no right or wrong answers. And as long as you play nice and show respect to everybody, you get to stay. And I was so yep. proud of you. That's exactly I saw right. the post that crossed the line and it's somebody that you and I both love dearly and have learned so much from, but you were like, you know what? That's not okay. And you booted him. And so I'm so grateful that you showed that kind of integrity to protect the people in that group and make it a safe place for everybody. And you you really did that. You came through with shining colors. And so I'm so proud of you guys. You guys are knocking it out of the park for this podcast. And I hope everybody will go check it out. Can't wait for the books that are coming from both of you. And I'm really looking forward to the conversations you're going to be having on the podcast uh, in the weeks, months, and years ahead. I love you guys. I'm so grateful for you. And thank you for this time today. Absolutely, man. We love you right back, brother. Appreciate you. Love you too, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or by joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. You can help us produce future episodes by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash messy spirituality. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at messyspirituality.org. We'll be back soon with another new episode.